You are listening to True Crime Twins, a true crime podcast hosted by Chloe and Melina Cantor. True Crime Twins is produced by Crawlspace Media. You are listening to True Crime Twins. I'm Chloe. And I'm Melina. Thanks for listening. How's it going, Chloe? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. I am a little nervous because I have a final coming up, but I know that if I set my mind to anything that I can do it, right? You are right. And if you need help studying, I'm always here for you. Chloe's a great study buddy. She kind of is like a drill sergeant. Like if I get a question wrong that she asks me, she won't let it go. You know, she just she will make sure that I know it in the end. And I'm I'm grateful for that. You know, sometimes I need that. It's like, you know, I trust you to babysit my kid. And I trust that you're going to do the job that I asked you to do. You asked me to help you study and help you remember all the information. We're not going to walk away with you not knowing it. That's right. Don't do anything (laughs) half-assed. So, you know, I'm here if you need me. Thank you. Today, we're going to talk about more of a current event. And it might be one that you have already heard of because it sort of made national news. It was the Yukon senior who was a fugitive for way longer than he should have, in my opinion. But... I heard about this case on, I think it was Sunday, the 24th of May. I open my phone and I see that there's a man who's 23 years old, UConn student, like I said. His name is Peter Manfredonia, and he is a murder suspect on the loose in Derby, Connecticut, near a state park. And Derby is like sort of like middle of the state, um, probably an hour north of maybe a little less than an hour north of Fairfield County, just for perspective. And where is UConn? UConn is way more northern Connecticut. So what did he study at UConn? He was an electrical engineering and business. I don't know if it was electrical, but some kind of engineering and business. And he was an honor student, not just like honor roll, but in the honors program. So very elite. Yeah, difficult to get into. He apparently was a very good student when he went to Newtown High School in Connecticut. So when I open my phone and I see that this guy... He has a very menacing photo. I don't know if it was like his DMV picture or something, but his head's kind of tilted upward and he kind of has a scary smile on his face and his hair looks disheveled. So I'm looking at this guy and I'm like, oh, okay. So this person, they don't know where he is and he's a murder suspect. Okay. So I decided to do a little more research and figure out like, what did he do? So his crime spree started on the 22nd, which was Friday. And he was apparently wandering through neighborhood in Willington, Connecticut. And I guess he appeared lost or confused or something. And there was just a nice man who was at his house and he was like, what are you doing? And Peter said, my motorcycle broke down, down the road. um, And I know somebody that lives here. This is according to um, a witness, which was the man's wife. Yes. Apparently, um, Peter, like, made it seem made him self seem more approachable because he said that he knew a young woman that lived on their street and probably identified her by name yes so their guard was down maybe a little bit was he wearing a motorcycle helmet i thought i read that somewhere i believe so he had like this big red motorcycle and i believe the helmet was also red so peter manfredonia accepts this friendly man's help uh to get a ride back to the motorcycle yeah which was parked at the end of the street i believe so and Something happened in that short ride and Peter Manfredonia ended up killing this man. His name was Ted 
with some sort of a sword-like weapon, they said, like a like a machete, um, really vicious, very violent murder. And another neighbor saw what was going on, and he came to Ted's aid, and then he got injured badly but survived. I believe the cause of death was, um, you know, chop injuries. Yes. So he fled, and, you know, his, he left his motorcycle there. He, so he fled, and while well, all this turmoil that he created is happening, and he's missing. So why did he kill Ted? We do not know. We have no idea. Something must have happened, or maybe nothing happened. Nobody knows why he killed him. And is there any significance to Peter knowing a girl on that street? People think that maybe that's why he was there, because people are like, okay, it's it's summer session, but he lives near the store's campus. I believe he lived in Mansfield. So what is he doing in Willington anyway? Why was he on that street in the first place? How far away? Probably within a half an hour. So the only connection he has to that street is that girl. Yeah, who apparently was a former girlfriend of his. So they're not together anymore, and he's parked his motorcycle at the end of her road and is just walking around? With a machete. With a machete. Yeah, I guess. So that could have been why he was there. Maybe he maybe he was crazy and was stalking her or something. Did he have any history of stalking? Not that I know of, but... According to this neighbor, the the victim's wife, the young woman who he was apparently looking for, her father said that they were seeking a restraining order against him, possibly, because apparently he had come around the house before. But there was nothing like that in effect yet. But after Peter killed this guy and was gone, I believe that that family went to stay somewhere else because, you know, it wasn't safe for them if they were the target. No, it wasn't. It seems like Ted maybe got between Peter and his plans to do whatever he was planning on doing to this woman that makes sense so what happens next he escapes from this horrible scene in willington yes by the way i just want to give tribute i I just been calling him ted but his name is theodore demers i just wanted to give him credit r.i.p he shouldn't have died that was really sad that that happened it was senseless because he was just trying to help so he he runs away and he ends up home invading somebody in the same town. I believe it was the early morning hours of that Sunday. And that's a violent crime in Connecticut because of the Cheshire murders. Any time you break into someone's home and enter the home in the nighttime and there's people home, it's a violent crime, which is a whole other classification for sentencing and other implications. Like so, that's really scary. Yes, he, he's a, an incredibly brazen person, you know, chopping someone up broad daylight and then committing a home invasion. So what does he take? What does he do? And I just want to put in perspective for a second that this is a young man who was a football player and he's like six foot four, two thirty pounds. Like, that's very intimidating. Sir, if, I, yes. if somebody broke into my house who looked like that and probably like he's based off of what he did, I feel like he can't be in his right mind. So I would just be terrified if I were this poor person. And it was like an old man whose house he broke into. So basically, he stole food and a couple of guns he stole a, i believe a pistol and maybe one or two long guns yeah he's, i mean making off with guns from a gun owning homeowner you know he must have been very intimidating yeah that's true he robbed somebody who had guns of his guns without a gun yes. I, well i guess he had a machete but still right so he takes the guns does he harm the homeowner no he does not he is left unharmed but he does take his truck so what happens does the homeowner call the police right away 
I believe he did, but, you know, he was gone. It seems like that Peter's sort of like a Houdini type. He just fucking disappears. Like, he leaves all this carnage, and then he's like, boom. He kind of always gets a head start, it seems like. So now we're back in the present day on Sunday when I found out about this, and he is missing near Osborndale State Park in Derby. And guess what? He kind of struck again. So the truck was found, crashed, and I don't know how, but they realized that Peter had an acquaintance in that close vicinity named Nicholas Izzelli and they determined that so then they're like okay maybe we should check on him because his house is near the crash site this guy is found dead with multiple gunshot wounds to the head and his girlfriend is missing as well as their Jetta so once again they've found what he's left behind right so he we don't know why maybe he went into Nick's house he knocked on the door it must have been early morning hours like like 5 or 6 a.m. and neighbors heard fighting but you know not not very detailed probably was very muffled whatever they did here and he ended up being murdered so Peter had killed two people in two days so like I said Nick's girlfriend was missing and as was the Jetta so that's a whole new alert another grand theft and it turns out that Peter has the girlfriend in the car and nobody knows where they are the girlfriend and peter are missing and in the jetta why do you think he took the girlfriend (sighs) i if i knew more about their dynamic like the three of their like i'm he probably knew her too if he knew nick so my best guess would be so she she wouldn't be a witness she was with him so he was able to have a head start knowing that she wasn't going to call the police. Well, I mean, it because he had hours. He had, an, uh, he had many hours of a head start. But, you know, I'm sure once he dropped her off, she called the police right away. And that's what happened next. They end up where? In, in Pennsylvania? They end up on the New Jersey-Pennsylvania line. He just, like, stops at, I think, a truck stop or something, a rest stop, and he leaves the girlfriend there apparently physically unharmed and then she called the police and he was gone i mean i guess it created time and distance between himself and that scene but you know by leaving the stolen car and the kidnapped woman it's really not buying him that much time it's just a little strange and i wonder why he didn't kill her because it kind of seems like at this point that he's killing indiscriminately right he he killed somebody that he doesn't even know that's trying to help him and he also killed somebody that they were apparently friends yeah, so it would be interesting to know what transpired during that car ride and, and what she went through. Yes. And what motivates this person. Mm-hmm. So they stopped at a Patterson, New Jersey rest stop, and it is assumed that he either walked or got an Uber. No, I, he actually did. He got an Uber, and I'm not sure how because I think that you need a cell phone. Maybe he stole someone's phone. Or maybe he got himself the Uber on the girlfriend's phone and then left her with the phone, and then she called the police. Or he stole somebody else's phone. Yeah. He's obviously being crazy right now, but I think he's very intelligent. Yeah. I mean, he I think there's still like a level of sophistication uh, that we see here just, mm-hmm. just with the way that he was able to avoid apprehension. Like, right. I, I don't think it was all luck. I think he is very smart and despite his erratic behavior was still able to use his intelligence to his benefit. Right. So that Sunday night, he was last seen in East Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania, he was walking behind a Walmart along 
railroad tracks. And then he wasn't seen for a little bit. So what did he look like at this point? Did they catch him? Because they caught him on camera. Yeah, he was holding the duffel bag around his back and he was wearing a white t-shirt and black shorts. Okay. And did he look disheveled? Had It only showed the back of him, but at this point, they, you know how I said that they released that scary picture of him where he looked kind of crazy? Yeah. They ended up releasing more accurate, more recent pictures, and he really looks like a normal guy. I, like, picture what he might have been like when he was, like, a student at Newtown and maybe the things that he could have gone through. And the whole thing just made me really sad because it's he apparently was very affected by the Sandy Hook shooting, even though he wasn't, you know, you don't have to be a student at the elementary school at the time. You're in the school system, so you're going to be vicariously traumatized. I know I would be. And he happens to live down the street from Adam Lanza, who was the Sandy Hook shooter which I think is wild. Adam was a little bit older than he was. I think they, there was an age difference between the two of them, but they grew up on the same street, just a few houses apart as boys, you know, so they're in the same school system. If they didn't know each other, they at least knew of each other. So was he at, in class at the high school when the shootings happened? I believe he was. And all the schools were on lockdown and everybody... He's in the community. He probably yeah. knows, at least knows people who knows some of the ch- the child victims. And he seemed to be very involved in the Sandy Hook type charities afterwards. He recently ran in a decathlon of some kind or a, or a marathon, a marathon and <laughs> he raised he raised money for the Sandy Hook promise, like a good amount. And it was it was very honorable. But now, for whatever reason, he's on a killing spree and it involves guns. I mean, the Sandy Hook connection also comes in because he left his, it was his dorm room or wait, no, you said he lived off campus. Yeah, his off campus apartment in his room. His room, he had handwritten scrawlings all over the walls and some of them made reference to Adam Lanza. Yeah. He said, they saw what happened when Adam snapped. Now they'll see what happened when I snap. It's terrifying. So he had this in mind. And so he went from someone that was advocating for, for gun safety and gun control to someone that's in committing extremely violent acts and some of those involve guns. Yeah. And people also said that he was like into Buddhism and was trying to be like a vegan. So this is just really weird that this is happening. And his friends have actually stated that this is just completely out of the ordinary. This isn't something that they would ever expect him to be doing. So maybe he had some sort of onset of some psychiatric illness. Yeah, it sounds like whatever was going on, he was just, he quickly deteriorated. Some of the other things that were written on his wall included, is this bad? Will I get in trouble? Will they look at me strange? Problems and fears are the only two things that need to be confronted. Problems and fears. Wow, that's interesting it seems like there's a lot of almost like mantras like personal affirmations that he's putting down like trying to validate his thoughts like to me it's someone that is so like manic in their mind that they need to express it elsewhere and just yeah i've seen it in the hospital yeah yeah damaging property is such a, a bizarre way to go about that but you see that in people that are psychotic yes yes you do <laughs> so Basically, there was no um, sign of him from Sunday to Tuesday. 
And that really scared me. Like I would walk to my car at night with my flashlight on and like lock my doors because he, I don't know. I I should just do that anyway. But did you think he was coming for you? I kind of did. I kind of took it personally, I guess. (laughs) You did? Yeah. It's not all about me, but it was scary because he has ties to, I was also kind of scared for like my family a little bit, like who's still in that area where he's from. And I know that Newtown police as well, they, you know, upped their force because because of his ties to the area they were like scared yeah like me it it would be it would make sense if he were to return to a place where he had a lot of connections so Mm -hmm. yeah i was i was more concerned about people that live in that area than i was about us because he didn't seem to be heading our direction i didn't know what direction he was heading in well he was in he was in pennsylvania he was in pennsylvania but i didn't but who's to say which direction he's gonna go in no you're right like i i literally was scared like (laughs) i I don't know why i thought he would come up here but (laughs) But I, but I don't know. This whole thing was just extremely unsettling to me, and I know I'm not alone. <laughs> so the next, the next semi sign of him was on Tuesday, when somebody had reported a stolen black Hyundai Santa Fe, and they weren't even sure that it was Peter that stole the car. But they were like, "Hmm, a car was stolen in the town that he was last seen in." So. I would say still keep your eye out for this car because it could be him. They recognized the MO. They really had no proof, but it was just, it kind of added up. Yes. And I was like, okay, great. Finally. Like <laughs> there's like a, there's like a little bit of a tip here. Yeah. There's a trace. It's, it's nice to have a trace because you know, like I was, I was poking fun, but it was very unsettling not knowing where he was at all. Like, yeah. He's very, very dangerous. Very, very dangerous. Even without the guns. So it's, it was a relief to have information of his whereabouts, especially that he was going even further away from us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and around this time, his family, they put out a statement with their family lawyer, basically begging him to surrender, turn himself in, saying that, like, we love you. We know this isn't you, whatever. And they said that he had suffered from mental issues recently. But the lawyer just said it was um, anxiety and depression it could have been i don't know i feel i feel like there must have been more signs but right th- those are too mild i mean are they i mean th- he didn't say the severity but no, he didn't he must i feel like it has chose, to do with his upbringing but he chose two illnesses and when i say mild i mean compared less bad than well, schizophrenia no it's it, no that's not what i was saying i mean the symptoms of anxiety and depression don't cause the impairment and in functioning and disassociation with reality that Peter Manfredonia was clearly exhibiting during his crime spree. And you're also more of a crime, um, of a um, threat to others with his kind of state. Right, yeah. Um, dangerous, uh, violent behavior towards others is not typically characteristic of anxiety disorders or depressive disorders. So I guess they were trying to, they were trying to appeal to him on a human level, like on a person who's on reality level. And I believe that the police followed suit because they had a press conference where... It was kind of weird because I feel like that they don't do this very often with fugitives, but the Connecticut State Police, they directed a message toward him that said, Peter, I want you to know we are continuing our investigation. The one thing we are missing right now is you. We want you to be able to tell your story. We are here to listen to you. Your friends, your parents, all of us back here in Connecticut want a peaceful end to this. Your family has hired an attorney on your behalf and your rights will be safeguarded. We are waiting to hear from you. We want to hear from you. What do you think of that? Clearly, they're trying to get him to reach out. And I think, you know, focusing on we're here to listen to you. They can see that he's someone 
with some kind of mission or message or cause and even though there was nothing cohesive that he left behind on his walls he might have some plan or something in his mind so i think they were trying to appeal to him that way like we're here to listen to you don't be afraid just tell us your story we know you have a story to tell yeah i guess they were trying to use some kind of psychological tactic to get him to listen right so the actual real proof of him he it did turn out that he stole this hyundai it was on Wednesday. He was caught on surveillance camera. Um, I don't really know how they even determined that this was him because because of COVID and everything, everybody's wearing a face mask. And I don't know about you, but I've been wearing sunglasses a lot. And this person in the image was also wearing sunglasses. So if it wasn't for this, he basically would look like a bank robber. And that's how I feel everywhere I go <laughs> at this point. So this person who they caught on surveillance footage, it looks like him. He's, he's big. He buys something. They didn't say what he bought. But he left the stolen car there and he took an Uber to Maryland. So now this involves a fourth state. Yes. This So this is, especially with the kidnapping, this is absolutely federal jurisdiction now. And the U.S. Marshals are now looking for him as well. <laughs> when I um, said to you, why do you think he's in Maryland? Where is he going? What did you say? Oh, I said, maybe he's going to kill Trump. <laughs> But he did not make it to D.C. No, he did If that's what he was planning on doing. Yeah, I'm not not condoning that, but I just thought maybe that was what... Honestly, I didn't think it was far-fetched. I thought maybe (laughs) that's what he was doing. Maybe that was his goal. Because I don't know, maybe in his crazy mind, this is like a gun protest. (laughs) It's like, look what can happen. Honestly, with, with these gun owners, I could just take their guns without a gun. And now I, now look at me like I'm on a six day manhunt with his erratic behavior at this point. That would not shock me if he was trying to make a point. You can't sense make in, right now. His sense makes no sense. So I think the only way to make sense of it is to find a, a mindset that makes no sense. But anyway, <laughs> so he took an Uber to Hagerstown, Maryland, and this announcement came out on wednesday so we were like okay but and i think that he's really making a mockery out of the state police and they and people are like okay like <laughs> like why haven't you gotten him yet this is scary but i know that he's smart and stuff but he just kept getting away he just kept getting those head starts and the connecticut state police traveled down to maryland because they're like okay like this is our guy um, they were getting briefed by U.S. Marshals and other authorities. They were at some, I believe, a truck stop in the town of Hagerstown. And they were talking about, you know, it was a briefing of what they were doing. They were searching for Peter Manfredonia and they were describing him. He's about 6'3 or 6'4, 230 pounds, dark hair, last seen wearing red sneakers. And... Lo and behold, one of them from their periphery can see a man kind of walking pretty pretty close by them. He kind of walked right by them. He was behind the building of the truck stop, and they see that he's about 6'4". He's wearing red sneakers, and they look, and his profile like of his face matches the picture. So then they just got him. They nabbed him right there. So it was by chance. It was. They were literally talking about their plan to apprehend him, and he just walks right past them. Yeah, and I really, it was, I really thought that it was going to end in a gun show. I thought he was going to, you know, get a piece of some cop and then maybe off himself as well. I thought that too. Yeah. But he's peacefully surrendered, and he was very helpful to the police and told them where his bag of guns was. 
pointed out and then he was taken in without incident. So has he spoken to the police since his arrest? Is he cooperating? What's going on? So this was on Wednesday. I believe that he had a court. And what is today? Today is Sunday. Yeah, today is Sunday. May 31st. May 31st. So we're talking about just a couple of days ago. And I believe he had a court appearance via video chat or phone on Thursday or Friday. And he did not want an attorney. He opted to represent himself. But I believe a public defender was also on the call just because, you know, they're kind of like, okay, like you don't want an attorney, but we're just going to like, can't, here's one here just in case, you know, that's what they do. <laughs> um, but, just in case you make the, you decide to make the right choice yeah, and not represent yourself. <laughs> I think that it's a really cocky move to represent yourself. Yes, because very it, arrogant. Are, are you saying that you're as smart as a lawyer? That is what they're saying. They're saying that... So, what, are you going to question your witnesses, your victims? Are you going to question them like, like, like your lawyer would? Like, that's messed up. People have done that. I know. It's really messed up. <laughs> but they think they are so arrogant that they think that they have more knowledge and skill than someone that spent four years studying law. Yes, well, he's he's clearly smart, but he's you know his his life is over as as he ever knew knew it. But he not only decided to represent himself, but he chose to not fight extradition back to Connecticut, meaning that he will be transported back to Connecticut custody probably this week or next week, and then he will be he will have to answer for his crimes and what he's accused of. I wonder if he will speak to his motivations because I feel like that's still a little mysterious. I really w- speculate. I want to see the evidence. I want to see, I want to make sense of it because it just seems really out of nowhere and crazy. It is. And I, I don't get it. I think the best way to explain it, and obviously this is speculation. I think that he had some sort of psychotic or manic onset and isn't thinking rationally is trying to make a point has some mission or motivation but is so erratic and out of touch with reality that he became violent but his you know raw intelligence prevailed and and physical fortitude apparently prevailed and he was able to survive as a fugitive for a short period of time six days i feel I expected him to get caught sooner, but I'm glad that he was caught anyway because some fugitives never get caught. And that would have been really scary because and I would never stop being scared. So time will tell. Uh, you know, more information will come out. What did you guys think when all of this was unfolding? What do you think motivated this man? We'd love to hear your thoughts. So please contact us on our social media profiles on Instagram and Twitter. We are very active on those. Yeah. And I, Melina, answer the Instagram DMs. I love to. So please, please, please. I love to discuss. I like to hear yes. if you agree, disagree. I also, I want to know, because I kind of have a controversial view on this. I think, I'm not blaming Adam Lanza, the Sandy Hook shooter for this, but there is something that I, I guess I can call it the Adam Lanza effect. He put a disgusting mark on that community forever, in my opinion, and There are people that will never be the same because of him. There have been parents of of kids that died that have killed themselves. It's like schools will never be the same. It's it's awful. And I think that Peter Manfredoni, I think, got severely affected just like anybody else would have in the community. But I think there were other underlying factors here as well. It can't be ignored. The connection to that trauma absolutely can't be ignored. Adam Lanza set out to commit 
the most horrific crime possible and he was successful in that yeah that was his goal but yeah so it still it still affects people very much so today and i can't wait to learn more and i hope that you guys will stick with the case too because i definitely will be